This episode of Off My Shelf contains coarse language and adult conversation. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, my name is Tracy James and welcome to Off My Shelf, a podcast about movies that are well off my shelf, where we go through my DVDs and talk about the movies in my collection. In this episode, Tom Davis is here to bring us some levity into your day as we talk about two comedies, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and Dodgeball. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. <laughs> it's great to have you on. I know you've been uh, uh, asking to come on for a little while and we finally got you a nice comfy spot with some fun movies. Yes, I'm excited to talk about them. Yay. Um, I did have fun rewatching these movies to prepare for this. I didn't realize how much I needed a good laugh. And uh, watching these, I mean, they are a little bit old, but there are some proper hilarious laughs in both of these movies. So I really enjoyed rewatching them. Agreed. Yeah, it's been a while since I'd watched either of them as well. So it was, I also enjoyed rewatching, revisiting both these films. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Um, so I guess we can just start with like, uh, well, first of all, one thing I've been asking everybody, you know, since we've been sequestered at home and quarantined, uh, what have you been watching on TV? Let's see, on TV. Or I mean streaming or if you've seen yeah. anything good. Uh, recently, we watched um, 30 Rock and um, also uh, starting to rewatch Community as well. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good fun one. The last, the last season's a little bit hard with Troy being gone and everything, but, you know, up until that point, it's pure gold. Yeah, I'm on season five now, so he's still there, but I believe he leaves before the season ends. Mm, that's true, that's true. Isn't that the season two? Dan Harmon left that season as well, right? I'm not sure, actually, but could have. Yeah, there, there's one of the seasons where he got kicked off, too, and then he comes back or something happened, something weird happened in there. Uh, so it was a little strange and you could tell by the way the, the show just didn't feel right and then it felt right again and then it didn't feel right. And it's, it's weird. Okay. I'll have to look up for that then. Mm-hmm. What have you been watching? Um, actually, the other day I just finished watching She-Ra. I love it. I thought it was I, fantastic. I also um, actually watched it, She-Ra as well. I liked it. Um, I wasn't a big watcher as a kid. I was a big He-Man watcher, but I didn't really watch She-Ra. Mm-hmm. So I don't have um, that to compare it to. But um, yeah, the, the, the whole series and whole was fun, fun time. Yeah, um, I did watch, a, I watched a lot of both He-Man and She-Ra. I have to tell you this right now, don't try to rewatch it. Even if you loved it as a kid, they're difficult. They're really, really difficult. Okay. Um, but this updated version... Um, like the artwork is really good. The storylines are good. Um, they keep, they kind of keep the storyline, um, from the original, like the basic storyline, but they throw in a couple extra things. And I just, I went through it in a, like a week, I think, which is a long time for some people apparently, but I was shocked a how many seasons there were. Cause it's only been on air for like two years and there's five seasons. Yeah. And, uh, I just thought it was fantastic. I couldn't stop watching it. I love this theme song too. It's great. Yeah, it's a great theme song. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing in the last season, I wish um, there was a. F- it took a while for her to be Shira again. I wish there was more Shira. I guess in the last season. Last, yeah, <laughs> I get that. But I understand the way the story was going. I kind of understand why they did it that way. 
So, and they built up for another season to happen. So I guess next season there'll be tons of She-Ra happening all the time. So there is going to be another season? I didn't, I didn't hear. I, I believe so. Based on the way it ended, I think, like, if it ends, people will be fine. There's enough. But also they left it open for another season. So fingers crossed it's going to show up. Yeah, I'd watch more if they did another season. Mm-hmm. So, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels from 1988. Uh by Frank Oz, which I didn't realize he's the one who directed this movie. But um, from- Yeah, he's an underrated director, I would say. Um, yeah, he's and done he's- a, He's done a bunch of different things mm-hmm. that people don't really realize. Yeah, I think, but I also think that might be a stamp of a really good director is when you, I know it sounds horrible, but when you don't know who they are, I think it's better than a person where you see their movie and you're like, oh, it's this director because their style is so overly specific. You know what I mean? Um, Because it's like, you know, you see a Michael Bay movie, you know exactly the shots you're going to see. You see (laughs) a, even if you love them, you see a Wes Anderson movie, you know exactly the kind of shots you're going to see. Or you see a Tarantino movie, you know exactly what you're going to see. But from Frank Oz, I mean... His direction is great, but he doesn't have a quintessential style. And from that, you get to just lose yourself in the story instead of being pulled out by these certain tropes, if you know what I mean. And he's done like comedies like Three Rotten Scandals and what's another? Oh, yeah, What About Bob? He did it as well. And um, also like the scores, an underrated movie of his, uh, like as well. But that's a drama. So he does some different things. Yeah, he, he moves around, right? Um, one thing I noticed about this movie is that I, I don't I don't know why I never picked up on the opening of the movie before, but it has a very old Hollywood feel the way it starts, you know? Yeah. With not seeing the characters and the pearls in each other's hands and the way the writing comes up on the screen, the type of music, the color palette. It's very like, you know, 1940s colorization, classic Hollywood look. Yeah. And it's um, very beautiful to, to look at, like the French Riviera and all the scenes. It's great scenery there. Yeah. Um, I actually looked up like um, Beaumont-Somer because I was like, oh, that might be a real place. I wonder where that is. But apparently it's not a real place. Okay. But um, it was filmed in an actual French town called Beaulieu-Somer. It's not much of a difference. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, they just use that whole town on the French Riviera to um to film this movie and um actually the hustle from last year that starred um what's her name Anne Hathaway yeah and and Rebel Wilson yeah yeah was a I didn't even realize it was a female remake of this movie I thought it was just another of that type of movie and it's a very obviously there's different characters and whatnot but it, it it follows the plot pretty closely, I'd say, to the Dirty Ron Scandal. So. Oh, really? So you watched The Hustle? Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I saw that too, yeah. Was it, was it good? Yeah, I'd recommend it, yeah. If you like Dirty Ron Scandals, I would say check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so Anne Halfway is basically the Michael Caine character, and Rebel Wilson's like the Steve Martin character. So she's the American, Anne Halfway is British. So basically the same storyline, like Rebel Wilson's more like the, the crass American and not as sophisticated as, as the Anne Halfway character. Gotcha. Okay. And it all, you know, all you know, cons and everything, just like Dirty Ron Scandals. Yeah. Well, maybe it's like the advertising from it or something, but 
the ads for did not make me want to look at that movie at all. So when I looked this up and I realized, oh, it's actually a remake and it, they filmed it in the same town and everything, I was like, hmm, maybe I should have a look. And I didn't realize um, Dirty Ron Scandrels itself is a remake. Apparently it was an old Marlon Brando film, which I, which I have not seen. Oh, I didn't realize that either. I didn't, I didn't notice that. Yeah, so I think probably 60s. Um, I could have the timeline wrong, but somewhere around then, I, like there's some Marlon Brando movie. And Do you know if it's the same name? Um, no, it's called Bedtime Story. Oh. And it's Marlon Brando and David Niven, 1964. Oh, wow. Okay. I did but not I, realize I, that either. Yeah, I'd never seen it, so I, I don't know how closely it follows the plot. But mm-hmm. I've never even heard of that movie, tell you the truth. No, I hadn't either until I was just looking up this movie after watching it again, Dirty Ron Scoundrels, yeah. Interesting. Apparently, sorry, I've just started to look at the trivia notes on, on the movie, but apparently yeah. Eddie Murphy was originally approached to be, uh, to be Freddy. That would have been interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. He was on fire in the 80s there, so yeah. I see pretty much any comedy approaching him. But him and Steve Martin were like, you know, both just off of SNL, both really popular at the time, doing their own thing. So I guess yeah. all of that makes sense. Yeah, I could see that. It could have worked too as well. Yeah. It would have been a different movie, but... Mm-hmm. I, I think Michael Caine and um, Steve Martin work well together, though. They're, it was a good pairing. Yeah, they definitely have, like, good, like, on-screen chemistry. Like, it's not it's not even just that they hate each other, but they also have, like, a an admiration. So it's like a, it's like a real frenemy story, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it makes it a little bit more believable when you when you get that kind of thing. And um, I'd say Steve Martin had the the more funnier role because like Michael Caine was more more serious. Well, I guess his character was supposed to be refined compared to an ass, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, but like both of them are real jerks in their own way, and I'm not talking just about the fact that they're scam artists, but like their personality wise, how they treat women how they interact with not just themselves but with other people yeah they're they're kind of just gross people all around but it's one of those movies that by the end you're like yeah you guys are kind of cool i'll have dinner with you guys (laughs) or have like a drink or something it's aptly named they're they're dirty rotten scoundrels (laughs) yeah they're likable that's one thing that frustrates me about movies like this it's like i really really want to hate you but i can't hate you why why is this yeah, that's a good point. Uh, one thing I did notice, too, the first woman that you meet, the Fanny Eubanks, I was yeah. looking at her and I was like, I recognize her. Who is she? And I had to look her up. Her name's Barbara Harris, and she was the original mom. She was the mom from the original Freaky Friday. And I was like, oh, my God, that's what I know you from. Like the Jodie Foster Freaky Friday? Yeah, the Jodie Foster Freaky Friday. Oh, wow. Which I actually, I, I know everybody likes the the Lindsay Lohan version and stuff. It was a very good and faithful remake. I get it. But that original was fantastic. I haven't seen the Lindsay Lohan, Jamie Lee Curtis one. I never saw that one. I saw the, the Jodie Foster one when I was a young kid. Mm-hmm. So I, I should revisit it because um, I haven't seen it like for over 30 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I must it's been a long time. It's been like at least 15 years since I've seen it. So maybe I should have a relook at it. But at the same time, everything I remember with that movie, I remember finding great. Maybe it's just the whole young Jodie Foster thing. Maybe it was just, you know, the 
it's super, super 60s, like their outfits, like yeah. the home they live in. It's very quintessential to that time period. But I also guess the updated version is quintessential to that time period as well because Lindsay Lohan's character is just so 90s, it's disgusting. Like, it's so gross. I'll have to check out the, I guess, both of them again then, yeah, because I've never seen the remake. And mm-hmm. I mean, you don't really... You don't really have to, but eh, give it a shot. Why not? If you're really, really bored, have a look at it. <laughs> yeah. That's like a that. funny like subgenre though, like the, the body swap parent and kid. There's so many movies like there's that. There's so many movies like that. Um, there's one with Fred Savage and like Judge Reinhold. Vice versa, yeah. Vice versa, yeah. That that's actually one that's kind of like under the radar. I, I realize a lot of people don't know that movie exists. But the people who do know that movie exists are like, that's a pretty good one. Yeah, I saw, yeah, I saw, again, I saw that one as a kid and don't remember much about it now, but I think I liked it back then. But um, And then what else was there? There's a course, well, is Big technically, it's not really a body swap, but he, he is kind of swapping himself yeah. for a older version of himself. Yeah, it's, I'd, I'd say you could put it in the same category, you know, it's a little different, but it's basically like a kid becoming an adult body. So yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess that means like 13 going on 30 will fit in that category as well. Yeah. And then um, there was also from the 80s, like Father Like Son, which I think was Kirk Cameron and Dudley Moore. Really? I don't think yeah. I, I know that one. And then also 18 again, which was George Burns. And I don't even remember who the like, uh, kid was that, but I think it was them switching oh, bodies as well too. I do know that one. That one I remember. But they made a remake of that one. Um, and it's, it's the guy from Friends and Zach Efron. I think it's 17 again. Oh, yeah. I didn't see that. But yeah. Is that Matthew Perry? That, it's, it's him from Friends? Maybe. 17 yeah, I haven't seen that, that It one. is Matthew Perry, yeah. Okay. I have not seen this one either, so I'm not and I have seen sure. 13 going on 30, but I remember when both of those came out, seeing the commercials for them and stuff. But yeah. mm-hmm. I did not see 13 going on 30 either, but people really like that one. Not yeah, I've sure. heard good things about it. Yeah. It's, it's whole subgenre of that. They keep making movies. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a really weird subgenre, but I think it has to do with that whole, you know, walk a mile in someone else's shoes kind of thing. And it's done easier than, you know, a long story of interpersonal connection. Just they'll just switch and have a bad day. You'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah, movies are weird when they go in these kind of like uh like phases, you know what I mean? Like there was a body swap for a long time, then yeah. it was raunchy teen. Uh, raunchy teen comedy then it was disaster movies um then now right now it's in superhero mode we'll yeah. be back to disaster movies shortly i think uh it, it's kind of it's kind of odd how that um how that goes like who decides what year all of the same movie is going to come out i don't i don't know what magical person this is i think part of it is that like Hollywood seems to sort of have like tunnel vision sometimes, like something will be successful. They're like, okay, we got to have four more of those same things. Mm-hmm. And then eventually some original idea comes along and they're like, oh, that's successful. Let's do four, five, six more of those. Those, exactly, right? I mean, what, what now they're trying to get the whole monster movie thing going. So we've had the two Godzilla movies. We were supposed to have um, like a creature from the back, Black Lagoon and a a new Dracula movie and that was started with the the new mummy movie that was supposed to be a whole like monster universe yeah, um, like, but but it bombed so I think that's on hold or they're changing it's got it got canceled yeah. <laughs> yeah 
So, I mean, I am a somewhat of a closeted fan of Tom Cruise. Um, my problem with it is I don't like him, but I like the movies he makes. So I end up watching yeah. all of his movies. I enjoy and, a lot of his films too. Yeah, like um, put his like personal life and stuff aside, but he, he's very charming and he often makes good movies, like exciting. Yeah, I mean, all of those Mission Impossible movies, um, yeah. Oblivion and... Um, I want to call it Live, Die, Repeat. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's a good one. But what's what's the actual name? Yeah, because apparently the real name is Live, Die, Repeat. And then they thought it would confuse people and they gave it another name. Day, no, it's not Day After Tomorrow. No, not Day After Tomorrow. No. Um, oh, crap. You'd think I would remember the name of this movie. I've seen it, like, so many times. Edge of Tomorrow. That's it. That's it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I enjoy the hell out of that movie. Like, it's so well done. And the last like four Mission Impossible movies have been really great. Like they're just they're just solid action and like just solidly put together stories. And even if it's ridiculous and all that kind of stuff, it it just doesn't take itself too seriously, if you know what I mean. And yeah, and some of the stunts he does, like the, the one where he's like hanging on the side of a plane and like all those like he does a lot of fun stunts where yeah. I'm sure there's some stunt people, but he obviously does a lot of things. Yeah, like uh, shots, yeah. I think it was the last Mission Impossible movie where he's there's that whole that ridiculously long chase sequence where he's running after Henry Cavill's character, and there's a part where he jumps from one building to another, and the part when he hits the other building, apparently in that scene he breaks his leg and keeps rolling. Yeah. Then they cut it. They had to break filming for like four weeks or something and come back to it. But they're like, that cut was so good. We're not going to try to redo it with anybody else. We're keeping it in. Because when he gets up on the roof, you can see he's kind of like limping off a little bit. It's because he broke his leg. And you're just like, you are a crazy man. Yeah, he really hurt himself. (laughs) Yeah, it's nuts. It's like he wants to be Jackie Chan or something. And you brought up um, Henry Cavill in that one. And um. When rewatching that one, I can't get over his mustache because it's <laughs> because it, um, they he was also doing like Justice League, I think it was, or yes. at the same time, or part of the shooting overlapped, and they wouldn't let him shave the mustache. Yeah, <laughs> so they had yeah. to <laughs> badly whole, CGI over it. Yeah. But the funny thing is, there's a whole bunch of people who outside of the studio went afterwards took scenes from that mission impossible movie removed his mustache in the scene of mission impossible and it looks better than what they did for justice league and this is just some guy at home with his laptop and they have a whole studio pouring in hundreds of millions of dollars into this and they couldn't get his top lip right come (laughs) on guys you could do better yeah it's definitely a very famous mustache now (laughs) it is it really really is but that was a, I'm sorry, that whole like sequence is just fantastic. It's another yeah. one of those like, how did they A, get all these shots? It's so long, you're watching it and you are feeling tired for him because you're like, how are you been running for like half an hour? What, what's going on here? This is crazy. Yeah, and another um, old Tom Cruise movie I really like is The Color of Money. I don't think that gets enough um, get respect enough or talk about it. Yeah. It's technically a sequel, and it's not as good as the original Hustler, but mm-hmm. it's still highly enjoyable. I only saw Color of Money once, and I think I was too young to see it. I think I was like maybe 10 or something when I watched that movie. Yeah, it's probably um, really young. 
Yeah. Uh, I remember, of course, hating it, not understanding it, and I just never went back to it. So maybe that's one of the, those movies I should put back on my list and be like, no, rewatch it. You might get it and you might like it now. Yeah, I think both him and Paul Newman are excellent in that, in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I should give that one a shot. That, that, was, that was also like before, you know, my real love of movies kicked in. Yeah. And, like my understanding of structure and stories and scene building and, and all the, the fancy stuff. I suppose. And, and it's actually Martin Scorsese that directs that one. It's more like a, a lesser work of his, like more of like a popcorn sort of movie as opposed to some more serious dramas, but still well done. Yeah, you, you got to make the movie to, to make the money so then you can make the movie that's the art. You know, yep. it's necessary. Uh, anyways, I guess we should <laughs> go back to Dirt and Rise Scoundrels. That's fun. Um, one of the things... Um, I noticed though is that the property that Lawrence has, like Michael Caine's character has, yep. is really very fantastic. Oh yeah, it's like nice. <laughs> everything about it, like his view, the actual size of the place, the rooms he has. It is just like every time they show it, even though it's it's outdated and all that kind of stuff, I still like I want to go there. I want to hang out there. I want to just chill out. Yeah, it looks like a beautiful spot, nice place to hang out. Yeah. But one thing I didn't understand about the overall story is that Lawrence lives in that town. It's a vacation spot for every summer and it's for for rich, you know, socialites and all that kind of stuff. And he seems to go to the same place all of the time. So how does he keep these scams going? Like you would think he'd bump into 20 of the people he scammed before there every other summer. I guess it sort of relies on him, like, on new targets every summer. And I, I guess the old targets don't come back, but you have to, like, sort of take yeah. that away. Well. Yeah. I guess it's the whole suspension of disbelief thing, right? Like, yeah. just believe that they're not coming back. That's it. And also, especially if they're all American socialites, all of them kind of would be sort of in the same circle. So when they bump into each other, be like, oh, I went there and I met this guy. Oh, so did I and blah, blah, blah. And I should stop analyzing it. It was still fun to watch. It's fine. <laughs> so my favorite moments is um, when Steve Martin is Rupert. Uh, Rupert is one of the greatest characters that he has when, ever done. I love it. He's got the, the fork with the cork on <laughs> <laughs> I just love the, um, excuse me, may I go to the bathroom first? Yeah. (laughs) That's a great moment as well. I remember the first time watching that, I was like, isn't he going? Just like the lady at the table. You're like, isn't (laughs) isn't he going to get up and leave? And as soon as he says, thank you, and you get it, you're just like, that is is beautiful. That is fantastic, you know? And the thing about that scene, too, is that it could have been super vulgar. Like, he could have gotten up and, like, peed in the corner and been like really gross about it yeah. but they just kept it like nice and subtle and you know just it you know they just kept it very uh couth instead of uncouth you know yeah because you don't even see like any anything wet anywhere you just you see like the expression on his face and you realize <laughs> oh okay he's going <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's all about putting the image in your head without yeah. showing it it's like it's like a good horror movie right you don't see the horror you imagine the horror and that's what actually gets to you. As to like, it was a gross out comedy. He maybe he'd go, he'd get up and like pee on the plate or something like ridiculous like that. Yeah. 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 And, and the thing is about like, 
I mean, I don't get me wrong. I, I like my a, a good bit of potty humor, right? I don't mind slapstick. I don't mind people being gross. But it has to be done in such a way that, like, there's still a, a air of intellectuality to it. That's not even yeah. a word. I'm making up words now. <laughs> uh, but, it, but, you know, like, but there are some movies where they're like, no, no, this is supposed to be funny. I'm like, no, that's just gross. It's not funny. I got to turn you off. This is just not working for me. Whereas there's others where they do it, you know, maybe once, but in such a way you're just like, that is, that is pure gold, pure gold. And this movie does it. Yeah. I think it, it was more, if it was more gross out, it wouldn't work for the tone of this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, like it has like a very, um, it's a good pace, like a very even pace, you know, it's, yeah. it's fast because like right away, as soon as the movie starts, you're introduced to your characters within like less than five minutes. You understand who they are. You understand what they're doing. You understand the plot of the movie, but it doesn't seem rushed. It seems nice and easy. It seems nice and cool. And then, you know, you go through this whole, like they, they do a lot of it in a montage, but not in like a crappy montage. Like you're missing something. Yeah. Um, more of a montage. You're like, oh, you know, they do the usual, you know, we're preparing you for something. Here's the stuff where he prepares for some, something. And then it all falls apart. And that's when, like, the main story happens. But all of that's within the first 20 minutes. And True. so much happens. But you don't feel rushed. You don't feel like you missed anything. You understand the characters. You understand what their motivations are. You know what the end goal of the film is. And you're like okay I, I get all of it it's it's great yeah it, it works it, it comes together and doesn't seem forced at all hmm. now I, I must admit like my notes for this movie sort of fall off at this point because clearly i was very much into just watching the movie uh, <laughs> uh which is which is kind of horrible because after this point all of my notes end up at the end of the movie and it's just two lines. Everything in between when you meet um, Janet uh, and the whole, her whole thing is just so easy and fantastic and believable. And it's just really, really funny. Like, especially the whole thing with the, um, with the sailors and all that kind of stuff that, that goes in there. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, especially too with um, the sailors are used by both Michael Caine and, and, and Steve Martin, like, um, they sort of come around like well, on, at one point they're on Michael Caine's side, another point they're on Steve Martin's side, mm-hmm. which is unexpected. Like, like normally you'd be like, okay, this, uh, these characters are on this character's side and, and that's that. But yeah. They were swayed. They, yeah, exactly. And, and the thing is, is like you understand these sailors, like when they meet uh, Steve Martin, like uh, at the bar, and you've got uh, Michael Caine just kind of like teasing him and stuff. I'm like, I would, I would want to kick that guy's ass too. I mean, he's got his girl. She's, he's in a wheelchair. They're yeah. making out. You know? Yeah, from their viewpoint, it definitely yeah. <laughs> looks like he's just being a jerk to Steve Martin. <laughs> yeah, and he's, he's obviously a vet because he's, he's got his uniform on and everything. I'd yeah. want to beat up that guy too. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And I do like the part where um, at the end, though, when they show up at the, the thing for the party and he shoves Steve Martin in there. And the next morning he goes back and he's like talking to the sailors. I'm like, this is a great guy. This is a great guy. And then you realize Steve Martin's been glued to the wall. Oh, yeah, yeah. With his hand, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's, it's things like that that 
Like it's so subtle and it's so well put into the movie. It's not, you don't see it happen. You don't understand how he got there. You don't know what torture they put him through initially. But all you know is that by the end of the night, he won them over again. Yeah. But he, they also didn't let him get away with it. And I read that um, the scene where Michael Caine gets him out of jail. Mm-hmm. Where, um, no, sorry, where he's in jail and trying to remember Michael Caine's character's name that um, Steve Martin improvised a lot of, like, like he just kept coming up with like names and trying to get, remember the actual name of the Michael Caine character. That was a lot, improvised a lot by Steve Martin. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. I guess like he is, he's a person who came up from like improv troops and stuff, right? No, it was, it was stand-up. Oh, it was straight stand-up for some reason? I yeah. He did and then he did a lot of um, hosted and guest starred on a lot of the Saturday Night Live with the original cast as well. Mm-hmm. But um, he was a huge stand-up in the, the late 70s. And um, he had like a wild and crazy guy sort of persona. And it was sort of like wacky his stand-up. And it was a huge success. And then he got that, started doing movies. They were successful. So he didn't need to do stand-up anymore. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. You know, why not lay back and be like, I'm good to go. Everything's set. <laughs> and at one point, he was had, had had the record for hosting Saturday Night Live the most times, but Alec Baldwin has since uh, surpassed him. As Really? What's the record? Oh, I don't, I don't even know now, but it's got to be over 15 or something. Or... Let's see. Record for holding, for hosting SNL. Let's see. Alec Baldwin holds the record, having performed the duty 17 different occasions since 1990. And he took the record from Steve Martin that hosted 15 times since 1976. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, that's a lot. I didn't think it was that much. I know um, they always do some sort of like weird intro thing every time somebody hits five um, on SNL. Uh, Yeah, sometimes they do fun things like that, yeah. Yeah, I've seen that a couple of times, but I didn't realize it was like that long. But especially if you've got somebody who's who's had like a long standing career. I mean, Steve Martin's been around, like you said, since the seventies, he's going to be on there a couple of times. And um, like he went gray or started going gray at like a young age too. Like even like late seventies, he was going gray Steve Martin. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, hold on. How old is Steve Martin? So he was born in 1945. So in 1988, he was only 33 years old. You know, that yeah. Old, yeah. And he was completely gray already. I don't actually, now that I think about it, I don't think I've ever seen him on anything without gray hair. Now that I think about it. Yeah, I think he went gray very young, but it certainly worked for him, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's been successful, so don't like any complaints on his end. Yeah, because even in The Jerk from 1979, he's like, he's like salt and pepper gray. Yeah. In that. Not and, I think that was, and that was one of his first big comedy hits, I think. Yeah, yeah and it's such a weird movie i'm a fan of it it's it's pretty ridiculous but yeah it's it's pretty funny i guess weird is a is a genre people enjoy it apparently it made worldwide 73 million dollars in the box office that's pretty decent which movie the jerk yeah that's that's yeah it's really decent for like late 70s yeah. mm-hmm. that's, what was its budget that's no, budget's not listed but it probably the budget probably wasn't even that big so no. That is definitely making your money back. Yeah, it was a big comedy hit for him. Let's see, he's got only 65 actor credits? That seems surprisingly small to me. Yeah, because he's been doing it for so long now. Yeah, but he's also got 46 writing credits, so 
That's also pretty good too. Yeah, he's written some like original plays and stuff too. I've never seen them performed or have even read them, but he's had some success as a playwright as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I've read several of his, well, I've read all of his novels. Um, he is a, a excellent writer, I must admit, um, because I, I read, um, so Shopper was his first one. Then he did uh, The Pleasure of Your Company. Um, I've seen the Shop Girl movie, but I didn't read it. The book's really, it's, it's a short, it's a short little book. It's like 130 pages or something. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a, it's a nice little easy story, just like the movie is. It's nothing that's too, you know, outlandish or scandalous or ridiculous, but it's just like in the life of this shop girl and he, she meets, you know, either, you know, be with somebody who's rich, who wants you as an object or be with somebody who's young, doesn't know what they want, but sees you as a human being and just loves you it's that kind of juxtaposition and um she decides really i mean she goes with the younger guy in the end but she also decides to be herself as well which is which is really great um and the thing about steve martin and his novels is that he's very good at i don't know evoking emotion and setting scenes with very few words and like and they're very like clear to you you know because like one of my biggest problems with some writers is that They've, they've just put so much fluff in the writing. I'm like, I don't need 30 pages on you describing a flower. I get it. It's a flower. But if you can make those 30 pages into like two paragraphs, oh my God, you're the greatest person ever. And I don't know if you're a token fan or not, but that was my problem with Lord of the Rings. I didn't read it as a kid, but I tried reading it as an adult, but I could not get through it. There's just so much description and like singing and dialogue it's like okay get on with it already and i didn't yeah. end up finishing them <laughs> yeah i tried reading the hobbit once uh i was probably like 20 when that happened and i had the yeah. same problem i had 30 pages in and they they were like still singing songs and i was like i can't do this this is just this is not working for me all he did was open a door and somebody walked in and they've been singing songs ever since i can't i can't handle this and i have the same problem with like tom clancy i have that problem with um i like i love the movies that came out of his books don't get me wrong but do not give me one of his books to read i can't do it drives me crazy never tried reading tom clancy oh my god no it's to me it's brutal personally but people like it he means he's a he's a bestseller for a reason he does create like a a compelling story overall but it's just cutting everything down to the actual story is the hard part. I think most of his books could be half the length if you just cut out a lot of his description and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. I guess it's his um, writer's style, I suppose. I'm, I'm a less is more person when it comes to, when it comes to writing for sure. Yeah. I never read any Tom Clancy. Mm-hmm. Now, what else do you like about this movie? Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Oh, um, I forget the actress's name, but I think she did a really good job because she's got the tough role um, because all the twists and turns, like she has to act a certain way for most of the movie. Oh, uh, Glenn Headley? Yeah, her, yeah. Who plays Janet? Yeah, she did yeah. a good job, yeah. She and, really does because like throughout the whole movie, you you buy the the innocent, you know, sort of naive, rich person. Yeah, she seemed very she's very believable as that character. And, and her interactions with, with both the Steve Martin and the Michael Caine's characters mm-hmm. work because of that, yeah. Yeah, she handles it really well. And then that, and especially when it comes to the end of the movie, when she shows up and is completely different persona, and you're just like, 
because even the guys in the movie are just like, is this the same person? Yes, it is. Because you, you can't believe that kind of like innocent, nice sweetness to this sort of like big flamboyant, talkative, you know, thing that just comes out of, of nowhere. Yeah, it makes for a nice ending to the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was really happy with rewatching this. Like it hasn't aged badly. Um, I did have some sort of misgivings of laughing at Rupert because you know I mean I, I wouldn't say he's he, he's he's not all there and and yeah. you know there's there's a sensitivity in in our society now about just making fun of people who have like whether it's physical or mental illnesses and I was just like but I can't not laugh at it because he's hilarious like uh, even the part where they go to his room and he gives him the news that we're he's getting married and Rupert is practically a cat you know he gets grumpy yeah. he gets up and just starts knocking things off of the shelf and I was like banging on pots yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like like what are you what, what what is this this is this is crazy but uh it could have been especially for the time period it could have been a, a lot worse the betrayal so yeah it 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 never crossed the line to being outwardly offensive you know what i mean yeah. uh it was just it was at that like it was at that right correct line where you're just like oh this is something i can still laugh at without being just like oh my god what were they thinking at the time this is crazy and i don't remember any gay slurs in there which is watching almost anything older like there's so many like offensive like gay slurs and stuff and things you yeah like you didn't realize growing up and stuff, and it's just like, wow. I mean, there are a few of them in Dodgeball, which should have been a, at a much higher level than this since it came out so much later. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's true. Like, there were no, um, despite the fact that they were both womanizers, right? There was no, like, outwardly offensive or derogatory comments to or about women. Uh, there yeah. were no racial or insulting slurs about ethnicity within it either there were also um they like like you said there was there was no gay or sexual orientation jokes or anything like that in there they just kept it really kind of classy despite yeah. you know their overall job was to scam a poor woman out of her money which was good yeah it was surprisingly that a good surprise that they didn't have that well, maybe that just kind of shows that, you know, the writers and the actors of the movie were more aware than people at, at the time. Because, you know, during the 80s, you had, you know, you had crazy comedy films coming out that would have all of that kind of stuff in it. Yeah. Uh, whereas this managed to, like, steer clear of that kind of thing and be nice and clean and relatively family friendly and you can still laugh at at the comedy. I mean, like there's, there's solid, you know, jokes when it comes to just their general dialogue and back and forth. There's lots of slapstick in there. That is just, that is just great timing and just like well done. Um, and then there's just general humor about the situation that is going on within the, the film. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of good slapstick moments with Steve Burton in the, the wheelchair. Yeah. That part where he's getting his legs whipped. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's so happy. He's crying. I love it. <laughs> uh, 
uh, one thing that actually always gets me is, is um, so at the end of the movie, you know how Michael Caine is suddenly Australian. And um, yeah. ever since, so I have a few friends that are Australian. And of course, when I met them, I was completely racially, not racially, but culturally, I should say, culturally insensitive. And I was like, do you want to put some shrimps on the bobby? And the first thing they said to me is like, you know, that's not Australian, right? I was like, what are you talking about? Australians never say shrimp, they say prawns. I was like, oh, okay. So the first thing that I said, because he says it, do you want to put some shrimps on the bobby? I was like, they would say prawns. (laughs) That was the first thing that popped into my head. Every single time I hear anybody do an Australian accent and they say shrimp, I'm like, no, that's a, that's, that's a craziness. And it reminds me too of that moment in Dumb and Dumber where he, uh, Jim Carrey's character finds out that the lady's from Austria and then he does the shrimp on the bird. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think it's a good contrast to... <laughs> it's a very good contrast to that, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's just being an idiot. This, however, is just culturally insensitive. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, probably as a kid, one of the first probably things from Australia was probably, I saw was probably Crocodile Dundee. And I'm sure that's, I haven't seen that in years, and that's probably just full of Australian stereotypes. Oh, yeah. What's what's sad about it, though, is that they got like an actual Australian to be in this, who should have been like, that's a stereotype, that's a stereotype. Let's not do this one. That's a stereotype. Yeah. But he made tons of money doing it, so... And apparently he broke up a marriage. Like, it was, it was a whole thing, apparently. Okay. Um, uh, so, if I remember correctly, the woman who plays the lead in Crocodile Dundee like, started an affair with Paul Hogan and left her husband for him, and then they broke up not too long after that. Yeah, I think, and he, she might have married Paul Hogan, or... Frawino might still be married to him, but I think at one point they got married, the, the two leads, yeah. What? Yeah, I gotta, I'll, I'll look that up later. It's fine. Uh, and, I mean, Crocodile Dundee is one of those weird movie anomalies that just doesn't make any sense. Nothing about that movie makes any sense as to why it would have been as popular as it was. Yeah, it was such a huge hit. And, they, and there was, mm-hmm. what, two or three sequels? Yeah, yeah I, I know. Was it two or three? I know for sure. Sh- I know I've, for sure. I've seen two of the movies because there's Crocodile D and then Crocodile D Down Under. I think are the ones I saw. And then there was like, yeah, I saw the first two. I think those are the first two. And it was like Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles or Hollywood or something. That was like years later, and I did not see that one. Yes, there's one in in Los Angeles. Let's see. Is that is that it? So there's Crocodile Dundee two. There's Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles, and there's one over here. Oh, no, that's Lightning Jack. That's a completely different movie. Yeah, so there's, there's only two sequels. There's two sequels. I did not see Los Angeles, and I'm okay with that. Uh, same here. Yeah, I didn't see that, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. What happened to Paul Hogan? I mean, oh, my God. Apparently, sorry, I, I made the mistake of clicking on Paul Hogan, and apparently the very excellent Mr. Dundee is a movie that has been completed. There's no year on it, but apparently this exists. Okay. Um, I'm kind of worried. I don't, I don't, I hope this whole uh, Australia obsession doesn't come back. That just seems weird. Or maybe they're trying to do something where it's sort of like a behind the scenes, yeah, maybe like they're 
I could see them trying to something like maybe they're shooting a new Crocodile Dundee movie and he's playing himself. Something like that maybe they're trying to go for. Because you said it's called Mr. Dundee or something? Yeah. So this is the description. Paul Hogan is reluctantly thrust back into the spotlight as he desperately attempts to restore his sullied reputation on the eve of being knighted. Oh, okay. <laughs> so from the sounds of it, what you said might be right. Like it's like a pseudo, like a, like a sorry, like a faux documentary slash scripted slash, you know, you're making an ass of yourself sort of thing. Yeah. That's like that show, um, oh, who is... The guy from Willow. Uh, uh, the, the place Willow? Yeah. Warwick Davis. Warwick Davis. Yeah, he did a show. He did a TV show like a few years ago where it was that kind of thing. Like he played himself. Okay. It was like this kind of ridiculous version of himself. And it's about him trying to get jobs in Hollywood and him talking to his agent and him going to auditions and, and all that kind of stuff. It was actually really, it was really funny. But at the same time, you're like, what is this? This is weird. It's called Life's Too Short. He did it with Ricky Gervais. Yeah, I remember hearing about it, but I don't think I ever saw it. It was actually pretty amusing, but it's very, it's very Ricky Gervais British humor kind of thing. You know, Stephen Merchant yeah. was in it. Uh, they'd show up pretty regularly. There'd be a bunch of like random celebrities that he's talking to about like you do lines for a role or he's auditioning for something or whatever. And um, okay. it's I, I actually think it's it's worth it's worth a look because I think Warwick Davis is he has done so much stuff, but just not as himself. Like you don't see his face, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, because he's always like dressed up in something or he's in something. Um, like, I mean, he played Marvin in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Who would know this? Nobody. Because he's in, like, a big robot suit. And, um, what's his name? Alan Rickman does the voice, so yeah. So. Yeah, you know, and... He I was mean, wicked in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, he's, yeah, mm -hmm. he, he's, yeah, he's usually in a costume or something. Yeah, in so a costume or something. Like, I think... I know he was in Harry Potter. You kind of see his face in that one, but he's, it's kind of, like, made up weird. That's true. And yeah. of course, Willow, you see his face. Um, That's Jack another movie I need to revisit. I haven't seen that in years. Willow. Oh, love Willow. It's so good. I, every, every, like, every, at least once a year, I watch that movie and I absolutely, absolutely love it. Um, it's also one of the first movies to incorporate, like, um, uh, what did they call it? Uh, morphing, like CG morphing technology, you know, like okay. the part where they, they morph into, what is it, like pigs and stuff? Okay. Um, that kind of, it's one of the first movies that had that thing in it, so it's also pretty innovative. Yeah, it's great. Oh, Wicket was his first role. Interesting. Didn't know that. But yes, Warwick Davis. He's great. Underrated. I like him. You should check that out. Yeah, I'll have to revisit that one for sure. Mm-hmm. Anything else about uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels? Don't know if I have much else to say about that one. So it's a good movie overall. It is. It is. I, I'm like, I'm very like. That's one of the things I'm really happy when I rewatch one of these movies, and I'm like, it held up well. I'm not offended. It's great. So then we move ahead to Dodgeball from 2004. Um, I gotta say, I have a soft spot for these these stupid Vince Vaughn comedies from the early 2000s. Um, I just think they're hilarious. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's so ridiculous, but um, very funny. Um, 
I think part of what makes it work is to have a sport like dodgeball because of some, like there's so many sport movies that have been done so many times, like baseball, football, basketball, even hockey. There's been <laughs> several movies of those over the years. So I think it's refreshing to do like a ridiculous sport like dodgeball, especially yeah. when you're doing a, a silly comedy. Pick something weird. Yeah. You know, get, get on ESPN 8 and, you know, watch the Ocho. It's fine. And um, I think um, my favorite minor performance in the movie and steals the movie a bit is um, Jason Bateman <laughs> as one of the commentators. <laughs> it's very unlikely, I think, anything else I've ever seen Jason Bateman do, but he's just so ridiculous. And yeah. Pretty much like a man child. <laughs> he is. He really does do a great job in that role. He's got that neck tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> What's his character? Yeah. Pepper Brooks. What kind yeah. of name is that anyways? Like, it's crazy. He's always the other guy saying Cotton. He's like, oh. yeah. But what's funny is, like, their random people that just show up in there are such, like, recognizable people that it's it's kind of, it's not really shocking that they got them, but at the same time, like, where, where are you pulling these people from? I mean, what, there's yeah. David Hasselhoff, there's Chuck Norris. Um, Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong. Is, it's really weird now to see him show up as like an inspiration. Yeah. Scandal uh, from afterwards. But. Yeah, one of, my, one of my notes is like, wow, Lance Armstrong, that was a deep cut, <laughs> but we know what you did. <laughs> you know, like, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, this is crazy. Maybe you shouldn't be too <laughs> harsh on the Vince Bond character. Was it? Is it Peter? Was his name or Peter? Yes, yeah. Peter the <laughs> Yeah, I'm like you. You. Yeah, you're for a guy who's hopped up on some steroids. There, you're pretty hard on the guy. I'm like, hmm, I don't know. And I think it's a a very suitable role for Vince Vaughn. He's he's good in these kind of comedies. Yeah. Yeah, he's very good at playing the uh, the slacker or guy who doesn't really want to do anything, but at the same time is has like a harder goal, so he does things for like the people he cares about. You know, he does that very he does that very well, and I think that's yeah. that's because because when you you're introduced to his character at the beginning of the movie, it's like yeah, he's got a gym, he's managed to do something with his life, but he obviously does not care that much. Right. But when he gets to the gym and he talks to his gym members and he's like, he's like, you know what? I actually care about what's going on in your life. I, I care that, you know, you exist and things are going for you, but you do you. And we'll just, we'll just keep going. He's just about keeping things going. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think it's good. Uh, whereas you have like white Goodman, which I just realized was white Goodman. Cause for the longest time I thought it was, Dwight Goodman. Okay. Don't know. I I don't know why, but I thought it was Dwight Goodman forever. And, and I think it's one of Ben Stiller's better roles. He's so over the top, <laughs> disgusting, <laughs> and like. He really, and I love the fact that he plays against his own wife, who has to pretend to find him disgusting, yep. and it works so perfectly. Literally, almost throwing up <laughs> from his dresses. Uh, but like, seriously, White Goodman is one of the grossest people ever. For sure, yeah. Yeah. He yeah. does a great job in that role, though. Yeah. yeah. 
He really, he really does. He really does. And his whole team and um, his, uh, his, uh, the guy that follows him around, Michelle, uh, that guy's hilarious as well. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't really do that much. He just kind of shows up looking tough, but in like dumb situations, like the part where they're at um, they're at Kate's house, and he pulls up in like the little scooter, and White gets on the back. Oh yeah! <laughs> you're like that is just the dumbest thing ever, but it's great. There's lots of fun supporting roles too, like like Alan Tudyk as um Steve the Pirate. Mm-hmm. It's the first thing he did after he was on um, Firefly. It was right after that, okay. Yeah, I do like Alan Tudyk, and he just shows up in everything, and he's very much into doing voice work right now. Yeah, he's very good at that as well. Yeah, he's in, he was in Wreck-It Ralph, and I think some Pixar movies and stuff too. He's been a lot of things. Yeah, he was uh, in Rogue One, of course. He was the robot in that one. Oh yeah, he was really good at that. Yeah, that's the thing. Rogue One, like I get Rogue One, I get why people like it. I hate the first half, and I like the second half a great deal, but I don't feel anything for the characters in that movie. But the robot, when that robot dies, fucking lost it. Lost it. I was like, what the hell? Everybody else was dying at the end of the movie, and I was like, okay. But that robot died, and I was I was like, oh my god, don't die, robot. Please. He's got some funny lines with the robot in that movie, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Actually, right now, uh, he's he does a voice on the new Harley Quinn uh, animated show. Okay. Um, it's actually really good. I kind of like it. Uh, they went full tilt on that show. Like, it's it, the show is crazy. I don't know how close to any comic books they did this to because... Harley it's animated, Quinn, animated show, right? It is animated, yeah. Um, Harley Quinn is voiced by... Um, Katie, Kaylee Cuoco, uh, the girl from The Big Bang Theory, the place Penny. Okay. Um, and he voices the Joker on this show. Um, and it's, it's very adult. It's not for kids at all. It's very okay. adult. Um, I have never read a single Harley Quinn comic book. So I don't, I don't know what her comic book persona is. All I know her from is from Batman the Animated Series and anything that came after it because she was created for Batman the Animated Series. She never existed before that. Okay. And, um, but like this show kind of goes on sort of a tangent that unless you watch it, you will not understand if I explain it. It just, it makes yeah. very little sense. Is it just one season or has it been going longer? Um, I think they're on season four. I want to say three right now. Let's see. Did you see Birds of Prey? I did see Birds of Prey. I liked it. What did you think? I was very underwhelmed. Um, it has the same problem that the Wonder Woman movie has. It's, it's female-led. It's better than the other movies that came out. But also, it's really not that great. You know, like it's, it's comparing crap to mediocrity. You see the mediocrity, you're like, yay! But at the same time, you're like, eh, it doesn't mean it's that good. But there's a lot of fun action scenes in it. And, and like you said, yeah, it was a lot better than Suicide Squad. And um, what's the other one? What came before Suicide Squad? Uh, well, it was just... Well, Justice it was League, yeah. Justice, Justice League, League. Yeah, yeah. That, that was it, right? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, but I mean, in Suicide Squad, they ruined the Joker. They kind of ruined Harley Quinn as well. You know, Batman was just like an extra prop because that's not who you were following. Um, and my biggest problem with, with that movie was they went back and did reshoots because Deadpool came out and they're like, oh no, let's make it funny. You can see funny cells, even with like this kind of like dark and deadly behavior. But I'm like, the problem with the DC movies is not, it's not that they're, they're darker and more somber. It's that they're shitty stories and you don't understand your characters. So. I thought they took a good idea of, um, you know, like that the bad guys have to be good and, and help out sort of thing. But then, especially with having uh, Will Smith as one of them, it just seemed like, okay, now Will Smith's going to be a good character again. It seemed forced. Yeah. Like it's sort of like, okay, instead of taking this idea where the bad guys actually have to help out and be good and like, okay, now they're sort of good guys now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, I think it could have, I think it could have worked if, like the problem with DC is they're trying too hard to copy Marvel. And you're like, instead of trying to copy Marvel, do you, but good. But the problem yeah. is, is when they try to do themselves, they do it bad. When they try to copy Marvel, they do it bad. And you're like, this is, this is not going to work guys. Yeah. You need to, to pick a lane. You have like 90 years of stories that you can pick from and tell they're already storyboarded from you in comic books. Pick one and do it. That's all you need. And um, like we were saying before, with the mummy, they were trying to like do a new universe with that, and it failed. I think it's it's really difficult to be like, okay, we're gonna have this movie, and it's gonna be the start of this franchise. We're gonna be like ten movies, different characters and stuff out of this movie. We're gonna do like it's really ambitious, and like you're sort of setting yourself up to fail because it's it's really hard to make something like that work. Like they weren't like when Marvel was doing like Iron Man, they were going to be like, okay, this is going to be the start of like a huge universe. And we're going to have all these movies. It just sort of, they built on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they do, like, like they just did a really good job with it. And yeah. And I think like their process of doing it was because it was made by the company who makes the character, they had access to the right people who understood the story to hire yeah. the people who were good at making that story happen. Whereas I don't know what's going on with DC. I'm not sure who's picking who to make what, but they are not hiring the right people to write their scripts. They're not hiring the right people to, to film or, or maybe it's an editing problem. Maybe they're not picking the right people to edit, but their stories are not coming together. But, there are clearly stories in their world that exist that are amazing. And what's weird is that on in theaters and on screen, there's crap. But if you look at their animated movies that come to TV or their TV shows, they're better than Marvel's animated TV shows and Marvel's animated movies. Yeah. So I don't know where that's falling apart it doesn't really make sense yeah i agree on that I've, I've had i've had way too many like nerdy conversations about all of these things simply because it it blows my mind it frustrates me because until this whole marvel universe thing came out i was not a dc or a marvel person i was a boat person i would buy marvel i buy dc i read the comic books 
they're all good. And then this happened and I'm like, I don't understand. Now you're making me a Marvel person because DC is just, is just dropping the ball. Yeah. Hopefully they'll get their act together one of these days. Yeah. Are, are you like, are you a comic book reader? Or are you like a superhero person or no? Um, I'm a big fan of a lot of the Marvel movies, mm-hmm. uh, but um, growing up, I like like Spider-Man, especially like the even the old like bad cartoon from the like the sixties. Watching that and repeats, I remember. I'm sorry, that, that show was great. What are you talking yeah. about? Bad? Oh, yeah, was so good. Well, well, low budget anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so like Spider-Man and the Hulk a bit as a kid, and um, the Superman movies a bit. So I liked some superheroes, but um, and I got like some comic books, but I was never. It was just like, okay, I'm going to get a comic book today, but it would, wouldn't necessarily be a Superman, like superhero one. I, it might be one, but it also might just be like a Disney comic book or something like that. Just something like, random that caught your eye kind of thing? Yeah. I wasn't a regular, like, oh, I had to have every issue I followed this series. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I was never hardcore into superhero comics that way, but I really enjoyed the Marvel movies and like the superhero genre in general in, in cinema. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. No, I get that. Yeah, I got I got hardcore into it in, in my teens, but yeah, at a certain point I had to, to stop because it was just A, way too expensive, and B, yeah. how they were creating their stories was was changing. Like, there, yeah, there was always a thread through all of the comic books. Like, if you bought X-Men or Uncanny X-Men or if you bought yeah. Spider-Man or, or like, uh, Ultimate Spider-Man or something you know there there are stories in between but you could buy like one comic book and you could be like this is a story i'll buy the next one that comes out yeah. but then they started doing the whole like to see the rest of the story buy these two comics you're like oh, okay you bought those two comics then in each one of those comics there were two more comics to follow the story and you're like so now i'm buying four comics okay so then you write those then in each one of those this is then i'm buying eight comics and you're like no i can't afford yeah. this this is really expensive and that's why, like, um, I've only probably read, like, a handful of graphic novels in my life. Um, I know I'd like to read more, but it's a, a thing I don't want to get into and spend the money on. Because I know, mm. like, I know it could be something where... Yeah. Well, what's good thing about graphic novels, though, is that a lot of graphic novels are just, like, one-off stories. Or, like, here, this is a yeah. story, boom. And even if you buy, like, superhero genre, like, you can buy one-off Batman, you know, graphic novels. There you go. You can yeah. buy one-off Superman novels, like here you go or you can buy like a series like there's there's tons of series out there um but yeah it can it you know instead of buying a comic book for like three bucks or four bucks you're buying a graphic novel for 25 bucks or 30 bucks like it it does add up really quickly so i sort of purposely not gone into those to spend Mm -hmm. less money yeah it'll 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 get to you it will yeah, I've got a I've got a stack of them that I still I haven't read and I refuse to go back to the comic book store. Um, well, I haven't been able to a, um, but I've had this like gift card burning a hole in my wallet for like a year, and uh, I'm like, no, I'm not going until I read these, and I just haven't read them yet because I know I'm gonna buy a whole bunch more, and uh, and I'll be be stuck with just more that is on pressure for me to read. But the thing is, is once I start picking them up and I actually read through them, they're so like, there's something about, I guess it's like animation compared to a live action movie. There's just yeah. so much more you can do in a graphic novel. Like, it, like they play with space, they play with wording, they play with like, you know, just like stylization and all this kind of stuff. And you can get all those genres. You can get 
get a romance one, you can get a comedy, you can get a drama one, you can get a, you know, introspective emotional journey, you can get, you know, biographies and, and all that kind of stuff in them. And, and it's just, it's just really interesting to, to see how people, you know, each, each graphic novel, they use the exact same space and the exact same page, but the stories are all presented in such different ways that you experience all of them in different ways. And it, it's yeah. really interesting that way. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, I've gone on a tangent. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Dodgeball. Hilarious. It's still funny. And yes. I laughed a lot. <laughs> um, uh, like, I, I know this is really childish and I know I was saying like, you know, silly humor doesn't always get to me. But in this movie, every time Justin Long got hurt or hit by something, I laughed very hard. And I was just like, stop laughing at it. It's not that funny. You just got hit in the face with a wrench. Why are you laughing so much? It was great. I'm sorry. Yeah, there's plenty of funny slapstick moments. And I liked um, Stephen Root in it as well, too. Yes. The thing about Stephen Root is that um, I've realized he is... Like, it's hard for me to believe he's the same character in different movies, you know? Yeah, he's um, a good character actor. He is. Like, this one and his his character in um, in Office Space, I can get, right? Yeah. But then you see him in, in shows like Barry, where he's, like, the, the assassin, like, assigner, like, this is who you're going to kill or whatever. And you're like, that's the same guy. Like, it just doesn't, it just doesn't come across. Like, because he's so good at just like falling into the roles, you know. And he was really good. I don't know if you were a news radio fan, but as the eccentric boss of the the radio station, he was really good in that. I did not watch news radio. I haven't watched it in years, but I remember liking it. But uh, it was one of those things that I didn't watch like every episode or every week. But when I caught it, I enjoyed it. Like you enjoyed it, okay? Yeah. He's really good at that. He's like the the station owner. He's like an eccentric millionaire. Okay. I wonder if that's on like a streaming service or something and I'll have a look at it. Definitely give that one a shot. Like it's one of those shows that people have always been like, it's a really good show. You should have watched it. I'm like, okay. But I think I was kind of young when it was actually on TV. And I had a good cast too, like David Foley, um, Phil Hartman. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like those shows. Like when you go back to some of the old shows and you realize, oh my God, these are all these people that became huge after because they're just, they're just good, you know? Yeah. But I mean, I guess Dave Foley was on, um, uh, what's the, the comedy troupe? Kids in the Hall. Kids in the Hall. There you go. Before, before he like went his own way and started doing other things, you know? And speaking of them, they're actually coming back. They're going to do um, all of them another season. And I can't remember which cable network or streaming network, but on one of them, they're, they're coming back and doing another season of sketch comedy. Oh, wow. Really? Oh. Yeah. I wonder if they're just bored. They might be bored. Because they all, like, well, no. Two of two of them, I know, still make money. So it would be Scott Thompson and Dave Foley. But the other two just kind of randomly show up in places, but you don't see them that often. Yeah, not as much, yeah. I feel bad that I can't know. I don't know their names. Kevin McDonald and Mark McKinney. There you go. Good. All right. Off the top of your head. Yeah, I'm horrible with Canadiana. I should really be better at it. Unless they're like huge stars. 
So, you know, like Will Shatner and Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, I'll remember them, but, you know. And Shatner was an untouchable. <laughs> that, yes, he was. There you go. Canadiana. <laughs> We're bringing it back. Works. But they do make a couple of very, like, like kind of mean Canada jokes in there. Like, they talk about, um, what is it? Oh, the guys saying that, uh, you know, 50000 why don't we pay them in Canadian dollars? Oh, it's yeah. like $73,000 American. You're like, it's, sorry, $73,000 Canadian. I was like, really? The dollar was that bad? Like it was $1 to $146? That's, that's, a, that's a pretty steep uh, exchange rate. I'm pretty used to all the, the Canadian jokes. Uh, I'm okay yeah. with them. <laughs> yeah, the other one was uh, Cotton actually said, he's like, separate the people from the awkward what is it awkwardly feminine from the possibly canadian was the other one i was like oh yeah yeah (laughs) was that necessary that was not necessary (laughs) but what's funny is that they had a uh, dodgeball team that were lumberjacks but they decided not to say they were canadian so yeah that was an interesting choice (laughs) it was an interesting choice i thought i thought that was fun and i like the the old dodgeball film that was they had with Patches O'Hooligan or whatever his name was. <laughs> yeah. uh, that had, uh, what is it, Hank Azaria? Yeah, it's, it's a young him, yeah. <laughs> that was so good, yeah. Um, one thing I did notice, too, is that, uh, so when they went to the dodgeball meet um, and they beat the Girl Scouts, or sorry, they, they won by default from the, the Girl Scouts, yeah. um, the guy who was reading out was Booger from Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah, yep. Curtis Armstrong, yeah. I actually had to look up his name. I'm like, I see, like, he always does these, like, two-second roles and stuff. I guess he still acts every once in a while. Maybe he does something else. Um, But, yeah, I have no idea what his name is. But every time I see him, I'm like, Booger from Revenge of the Nerds. I'm always curious for something like that. Like, I don't know how many movies they made of those, but they made a a couple anyway. But, like, Mm -hmm. does he still get good royalties off of that or...? They probably do. Like, if they've signed the right contract, they probably would. Because when I was doing the episode on, um, oh my god, what's the one with um, Jim Belushi? They're in college, and it's um, it's a movie. Yeah, and like uh, Donald Sutherland's in it. Uh, uh, oh my god, they put a horse in the dean's office. I don't know if I've seen that. It doesn't ring a bell. Is it 80s or, or newer? No, 70s. Oh, are you talking about Animal House? Animal House! Oh, oh my okay. god. I couldn't remember Animal House. It's John Belushi, so that's why. John Belushi. I said Jim Belushi, didn't I? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's younger. Less talented brother. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, those guys still make royalties on the movie. And um, one of the things I was reading, if I remember correctly, one of them, and I think it was, I think it was um, Donald Sutherland, where, so there are contracts that were given to them and how they get paid. And you could either get a lump sum or it was like a, per, like a percentage of like box office or, yeah. or sales or whatever. And I think two of them took the lump sum and the rest of them was just like, sure, give me percentage. Like you get like a, it's a token amount of money. Like they got like, yeah. you know, 3000 bucks or something. And then, you know, they get a percentage after that. And the other people took like 
$20,000 or $30,000 each and was like, you know, I'm out, I'm done. And apparently they lost out on a, on a ridiculous amount of money by taking the lump sum. Like they got $30,000, but they could have gotten like 30 million, $40 million based on the contracts that they sold. Yeah, same thing to, for the, the first Tim Burton Batman, Jack Nicholson signed a deal where he got a percentage of the profit. So he, I can't remember what the figure was, but it was, he, he got a lot, he got a lot. Of <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Is it like, uh, I think it was like Tom Hanks is known for doing that as well, where he doesn't, he doesn't really get paid for things. He gets percentages of stuff. Oh yeah. Cause I think he did that for um, Forrest Gump. I think it was. Yeah, um, a lot of money, so that would be a good one to do it for. Yeah, yeah, but there's there was there's no way in knowing that Forrest Gump would have done that well because that movie, if it was put together wrong, could have been absolute garbage. Like just based on like the characters and you know how all over the place the story is and yeah. you know, that kind of stuff, it could have been it could have been really really bad. But yeah, it turned out pretty decently. Like there's. It's it's surprising to me sometimes where you watch these movies and like there's a fine line between it being good and it being bad, and yeah. like somebody actually managed to skirt the line of it being on the good side, you know? Yeah, a lot could go into it like wrong, one wrong move like bad screenplay or bad casting choice. Yeah, <laughs> doing like a horrible accent that just doesn't work or character choice. Yeah, you know. And, and a lot of people don't realize, like, how much editing, you know, adds to the story. Like, yeah. you know, having an extra millisecond here or including a look over here before cutting to something else or, you know, how to put together a scene to make it seem, you know, very exciting or very sad or, or something that is, is super important to the, the overall feel of, of, of the movie itself and how, you know, a viewer is going to, you know, follow the story or accept the story in there. And know, having the right music, it. whether it be a score or like a pop soundtrack or whatever, but that, that can really add yes. stuff as well. Yeah. Yes, that's so, so true. I don't know. Like, I, there, I must admit, there are very few movies where I'm like, this is a really bad score. And, but there are so many movies that have such good scores and that's the thing that like saves the movie overall. Yeah. So I went on a little tangent last night too, after uh, uh, like during watching the movie, because okay, this 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 is gonna seem really weird. So there's there's a part where um, Michelle walks in on White, and he's like, I don't know, he's doing something with a slice of pizza, and it's really weird. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and I know there's a world. There's always everybody has a kink of some sort, and there's a name for every single kink that's out there. And I decided I'm like. What is a, the name of like a person who gets aroused by food? food? Apparently, it's called sitophilia. Oh, I didn't even I know that know. was a thing. <laughs> Apparently, it's a thing, and um, and technically, in the technical term for a kink, is a paraphilia, which is characterized as a condition by abnormal sexual desires, typically involving extreme or dangerous activities. And I'm like, okay, all right, there you go. I've learned something new. I've learned something weird, <laughs> and this is knowledge I'll have for the rest of my life for no reason. Lucky me. Yeah, Ben Stiller's character certainly had a, a thing with food, for sure. He had a lot yeah. of food issues. <laughs> he had a lot of food issues. Well, I think he sort of, like, put it on himself because everything was about torturing him 
to not eat food and you're like you're supposed to eat food to live still just sort of try to condition yourself to not gorge on things but just you know eat like a normal person yeah i find now um i remember vince vaughn like in the 90s he did a lot of drama stuff as well mm-hmm. and I, I think some of that stuff worked but now now i find it hard watching him in a non-comedic role yes because i just see him as a silly man like there was i don't know if you saw a true detective i think it's season two that he was in mm-hmm. there's a lot of issues with that but like like stuff like that that he tries now it's just i don't know I, I, it doesn't work for me anymore yeah season two was very weird casting choices i found um but one thing i have to say Sorry if you haven't seen season two of True Detective. This is going to be a slight spoiler. But when they, I was mad they killed Taylor Hitch's character because I found he was the only person who fit the role and was doing a hell of a good job in it. And when they killed him like halfway through the season, I was like, what are you doing? He's the only thing that's interesting in this whole thing. And but that they was kept the like bigger names, you know. Was it Colin Farrell in that season as well? Was Colin Farrell in that season? I don't think so. Yes, that was season two he was in. So it was him, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I I found it just very... Like, everybody in their roles were just them in their roles, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, um, because even Rachel McAdams, which I've seen her in, in various different things, but she's one of those actresses that she's not bad at what she does, but she's always just her when she does it. Okay. Um, and watching that season, like, oh, it's, it's, I'm a tough version of me. I'm going to have on a mean face. Mer. And it just, it just didn't work. And uh, yeah, and Vince Vaughn was the same thing. It's like, I'm Vince Vaughn. I'm going to be a, you know, serious version of me. Vince Vaughn. Yeah, it's not working. Just I remember enjoying of. some of his dramatic stuff in the 90s, but maybe I wouldn't enjoy it if I went back. Possibly. Yeah, like, I think Vince Vaughn and I think comedy now. I don't think of anything yeah. serious at any point in time. So, I, I like, yeah. I saw him in, in that show, too, and I was like, is, when's he going to fall down? When, when's he going to, when he's, when he's going to get all yeah. snappy at somebody? When, when is this thing going to happen? And it just didn't. But that's... I remember, I remember a late 90s movie that I remember liking. I think it was clay pigeons i think it's like him walking phoenix and janine garofalo mm-hmm. and i think that was like a drama or something but i remember liking it back then but don't know it would have aged well i did not see this movie like the title seems slightly familiar but i have no idea what this is about yeah i only vaguely remember it now but yeah i remember liking it back then but i don't think it was a box office hit or anything yeah i think it was one of those like we're trying something here Here's some names and a thing. Yeah. We're doing it. But he certainly works in, in dodgeball. It's a good role for him. It is, yeah. Well, because, I mean, I'm looking at his filmography and, you know, apparently he shows up in Doogie Howser at some point in time, FYI. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> he plays a guy named Mark. But his big break was Swingers, which was 1996. Yeah. Then he shows up in Jurassic Park. That's right. Oh, yeah, this uh, is a sequel to that. Yeah. Lost World, yeah. And, like, that wasn't... It was kind of a comedy role, but more of a serious... on More on the serious side, you know? Like, he was, like, the cool guy, really, in that whole thing. 
the first one is definitely the best in that series. Yeah, last one was, you're like, what, you're not even, what are you trying to do here? It's not even working. Oh, that's right. He, did the, he was in the remake of Psycho. He played Norman Bates, which I never watched. It was a weird choice because it's like a shot-by-shot remake, but in color. It's, it's one thing to make a remake, but like, why bother doing shot-by-shot? Shot? It's already been done. Exactly. But that's sort of like, like um, the Coen brothers did um, True Grit. And Which I liked, but I, I've never seen the John Wayne one. Oh, but, yeah. Okay, so I saw that version, and then I tried to watch the John Wayne, uh, like, and I, I couldn't do it. But I think it has more to do with the overall, like, style of the older movie than the quality of it. Because I think I watched, like, 20 minutes of the original, and it was practically shot by shot. Like, practically. Oh, really? Wow. But there was a different... Because at that point in time, you know, like, how there's always, like, music or a certain level of sound within it? Whereas in, like, older movies, it's a lot... There's a lot less there's a lot less sound design in older movies. Like, I guess they didn't really not, it's not that they didn't understand how sound design worked, but I don't think they thought it was necessary maybe, or they didn't have them figured out how it could really work yet. Yeah. And it's just boring. That's like, it's not bad. It's just boring. Okay. Yeah. I'm really interested. I don't. I don't know if it's still happening, but um, there's talks of Coen Brothers remaking Scarface, and I hope it still happens. It'd be interesting to see what they do with that. There will be a riot if people remake Scarface. Was well, it the Pacino one's actually a remake of a, a really old, um, like um, 30s gangster movie? Mm-hmm. So I think the Coen Brothers one would be more like that. It's more like the original to... compared to the remake. Yeah, more like the. That's, that would be my guess. I could see the Coen Brothers doing an old-timey gangster movie more than a like the Pacino '80s Scarface one. Yeah, but I could see them being able to just sit back and write an old-timey gangster movie and make it work, and them remaking something. Well, they have Miller's Crossing. They've done, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I never saw Miller's Crossing. Maybe I should get on that. It's good if you like Coen Brothers. I do like Coen Brothers. I've never seen that one, and. Um, What's the one where they kill somebody in Las Vegas? Um, it's one of their like first, first movies. Are you talking about Blood Simple? Blood Simple. I've never seen Blood Simple. That's one of my favorites of theirs. It's, it's really good. Um, it's a very young Frances McDormand. Mm-hmm. Um, she's uh, the female lead in it. Yeah, I got into them at um, Raising Arizona. That's a, I... another classic one, yeah. Love that movie. That movie is so good. And yeah, that might have like, been the one. I think Blood Simple might have been the first, but I, I'd highly recommend Blood Simple. Mm-hmm. It's like a, a film noir. Kind of thing, yeah. Story, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's definitely still a lot of movies on my list that I just haven't gotten around to watch. And there's definitely movies on my list that I haven't watched out of spite because people are just like, you have to watch it. What do you mean you haven't watched it? I'm like, just for that, I want to annoy you. I'm not going to watch it in your face. Done. <laughs> I'm a horrible person. It's fine. Uh, one other thing. <laughs> so sorry, we're gonna go back to dodgeball. Uh, but one thing I thought was really funny is that. Um, so you know the part where uh, White is trying to bribe uh, Peter in like the hotel room, and yep. he opens the thing and he's just like, he's like, I bet you've never seen a hundred thousand dollars before, and it's just like one stack of bills. That got me really upset because I'm like. 
that's a lie. That is, that's an absolute lie. That's crazy. So, so there's, so how they, they like package money tells you how much money is in like a stack of anything. So if it's got like one of those like paper bands around it, it's a hundred. If it's an elastic band, it's 50. And if it's a paper clip, it's 25 bills. Right. And they had one stack in there that was paper wrapped and there were hundred dollar bills. That means there's a hundred bills in there. That's only $10,000. I'm like, you're just trying to rip that guy off. That's not right. <laughs> you need 10 of those stacks for a hundred grand. Yeah. I can't say that I caught that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the things that I caught. I was like, no, 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 that's, that's wrong. That's wrong. Um, but then I also remembered, well, the U S and Canada used to print thousand dollar bills. So I was like, Oh, maybe they're actually thousand dollar bills. Then I looked it up. They actually stopped printing those bills in 1946 and they actually took them out of circulation by 1969. So it wouldn't have been thousand dollar bills. And even if they were thousand dollar bills, no bank would accept them because they were recalled out of circulation. So they're not actually worth anything anymore. Um, And I also found out that the bank actually used to print 5,000, 10,000 and a hundred thousand dollar bills. So there's a possibility if they still printed them, it could have been a single bill in that briefcase, which I I mean, I don't know what you're going to do with a hundred thousand dollar bill, but sure. Yeah. It'd be a big purchase. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Also, that's a wallet that you'd have to like attach to yourself with handcuffs and tape closed and keep in like certain pockets and you know, like three of those bills in your pocket. That's a lot of money. I guess so. And back to Dodgeball, I'm glad that they didn't try to make a sequel or anything like that. I think it works as well. It's just a, a one movie sort of thing. Yeah, that's one thing about comp. Like, they, they just don't need as many sequels as they put out for a lot of these movies. You're just like, they're like, yeah, it was a great movie. I like the story that was put out. If you see any more, you're going to ruin it. So can we just not? Yeah, I can't really think of anything that wouldn't be contrived of like, oh, they have to go into another dodgeball tournament because whatever reason, yeah. Yeah. Or maybe they just pick a, they'd have a tournament in one another random obscure sport off of the Ocho, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I wonder what kind of like, like obscure sports there are. There's something called chess boxing in Germany, apparently. Well, have you heard or seen these things? Um a marble racing? Yes, I did see videos <laughs> of that. I thought it was really interesting. And I was also shocked that I watched like four of those videos back to back. I was like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, I saw some on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny. <laughs> uh, and apparently they have like a pretty decent following. The guy who does the commentating is like perfect for it. Like he treats it like it's like a real sporting event and like he really gets into it. <laughs> I think that's the thing that actually sells it. It's not even really like what it is. It's just yeah. you want to listen to the guy just like go on about it. I remember yeah, hearing really a thing about like there's like a like a, a wife carrying race somewhere in the world. There's a what? Wife carrying. It's in Finland. Oh, like it's you. literally a husband and a wife, and the husband has to pick up the wife, and they they run. And sometimes it's kind of extreme. Like they'll have them through like mud puddles and there's obstacles they got to jump over and stuff. But the husband is running with the wife on his shoulders. And it has to be husband and wife. Like it can't be boyfriend, girlfriend or anything. Well, it just says is it's a contest in which male competitors race while carrying a female teammate. Oh, okay. 
So I'm, I'm assuming it can be anybody technically, but that's just the criteria for it. Because wedding live, it, it, it would just be <laughs> husbands and wives only. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently it's from Finland. Sure. It seems weird, but they have proper like competitions. Yeah, that was one of the weirdest ones I'd ever heard of. And I was like, that, why, is that a, why is that a real sport? But that would definitely be in the Obscure Sports Weekly or whatever it's called. Yeah. <laughs> ESPN Ocho. Yeah. So one thing I found out, too, while, while looking at this was apparently uh, the ending that was released in theaters was not the original ending of the movie. So it's the same ending they have now, though? It's not. Uh, so... So in the movie, they have a sudden death, yeah. um, and you know, and uh, average shows wins. And apparently, the original, which Vince Vaughn and the director really liked, because when um, White hits him at the end, average shows loses. Uh, the snakes win from uh, the purple snakes win, and that's the end of the movie. Like that's that's it. Oh, wow. um, and apparently Vince Vaughn and the director really liked the ending because they're like, you're like, no, this is, this is, this is an underdog story, but not under all underdogs win and not everybody wins the thing that they're going for. So why not be, make it slightly realistic because there's a possibility they can lose. And like Vince Vaughn and the director were like, no, this is our ending. This is what we're doing. And then they showed it to audiences. Like they have always have test audiences for movies and yeah. the test audiences were like, what the hell? Why did they lose? That doesn't make any sense. And so, the, uh, so they were forced to do reshoots and put in a quote-unquote happy ending. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. And when I found that out, I was just like, what? I, actually, I don't know if I would have liked it as much. Like, well, especially if he would have lost the gym, too. So. Yeah, he would have lost everything, right? Um, but... I don't know if I would have liked it just because it's not what I, because when you see a movie like this, you're like, no, 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 this is going to be a happy ending movie. It's a feel good movie. This is what you're expecting. Yeah. But I guess it would have made more sense and it would have been not necessarily better, but it would have been more truthful if they did lose. Cause you know, winning is just kind of like, I wouldn't say a fool's errand, but you know, it's not, not everybody's going to win. Like, like you yeah. said, it's true. So. Yeah, it would have been more realistic, but. Yeah. Us, but who goes to the movies thing. for realism? That's the real question. Especially silly comedy, is it? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess if you're going for a documentary, sure. But, you know, yeah. a slapstick comedy about playing dodgeball? Yeah, I think the ending works, though, the way that they have it. It's light. It's funny. You get to see Rand. You get to see Chuck Norris. I mean, he was thrown in there for the reshoots at the end. Why not? So overall, you think uh, Dodgeball has aged well? You like it still? Yeah, I still find it funny. Uh, there's a, a few things like we mentioned earlier. There's like some unnecessary gay jokes, but other than that, it's pretty funny. It is. Yeah, um, I definitely did uh, twinge a little bit, especially at the a couple of comments that. Uh, Patches of Hulahan made uh, the Rip Torn yeah. uh, that were a little bit like, oh, that's a little bit too far. Uh, but most of it, yeah, most of it was pretty solid. And um, I got from even back then, like his character uh, Patches, like was basically like a dinosaur, like from another era, another time. I'd say from back then. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, because by the reaction from like everybody else in it, when he would say something, they're like, yeah. even they were thinking like, "Ooh, that might be too far." That would have been a lot worse if like they had like Vince Vaughn's character or like Justin Long or somebody like saying that kind of those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because that would just mean they're just completely insensitive. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I found them very, like, there was only one real female character, which was Kate, played by Christine Taylor. Yeah. Um, but what I liked about it is that they actually made her, like, an actual whole character, you know? Yeah. She's like, don't sexually harass me. I'm going to like whoever I want. And I'm feminine, but I'm tough. You know, I like unicorns, but I played softball and I can, you know, play sports with the rest of the guys. And, the, and the she blah, seemed blah, to be blah. good at her job as well. Yeah. like Yeah. She was very like competent in what she did. You know? Yeah. So that's what I, I liked about that part. And she didn't take guff from people and except for white, everybody understood that very early on. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I thought that was a good part about it. And all of the male characters in it were respectful to her except for the fact that they kept calling her a lesbian just because she played softball which i was like that doesn't make any sense guys get over it but yeah like all of the characters were like they were whole so pretty solid characters i suppose yeah except for ben stiller's character of course but he was a villain yeah yeah villains don't need to be rounded we just need to hate them yeah. that's it i'm okay with that but some of his outfits were just immaculate <laughs> is that the right word I want to say? Maybe <laughs> that uh, that white leather jumpsuit with the with the uh, the purple scarf. Ah, oh, beautiful. And like the S and M clothing, <laughs> it was a funny sequence as well. <laughs> yeah. They get those outfits mixed up. Yeah. What's a, people always say? Assless chaps. I'm like chaps by definition are assless. That's the whole point of them. They're supposed to cover the legs. Yeah. That's it. So if you just don't put anything on it, of course it's going to be assless. Come on, guys. And when they, the people that come back that the costumes were meant for, and he's like, oh, your daddy. <laughs> <laughs> that was a nice touch. Oh, one thing I noticed uh, for the first time as well. So you know when um, they're first opening the uniforms and the guy's like, this is not what I ordered. And they cut to the whatever convention for the people there's a guy in their group who's got like a whole head mask on that's like zipped up and everything and he goes what the hell is that i just i've never i never realized that before i don't know why and it just made that scene funnier yeah it's a funny scene so anything else you want to say about dodgeball or dirty rotten scandals both interesting comedies definitely different in tone i would say but both enjoyable Yes, I would definitely agree with that. They're watchable still. They still make you laugh. And if you want like a, 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 a light evening and detract from what's been going on in the world, I think these two might do a good job. And I'd recommend uh, The Hustle. That one, you should check that one out sometimes. Yes, I will. I've got to put that one on my list. Maybe find it on some sort of streaming something or other. I've been finding it very difficult to find um, something light to watch. I find a lot of things on TV and yeah. movies and stuff have all been very heavy these days. I would love to check out the, the Marlon Brando one. I don't, don't know where I would find that, but yeah. To yeah. see what, what, if it's similar to the Dirty Run Scoundrels or if they changed a lot. 
You like where it goes with it, yeah. Didn't know that existed before, but I'll definitely have to find out about it for sure. Uh, well, Tom, thank you so much for coming on the episode today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Good, yeah. We'll have to get you back and find something else for you to, to chit-chat about. Sure. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll go from there. Thanks for uh, having me. Thanks. Uh, well, that's it for this episode of Off My Shelf. Until next time, you can follow along on Instagram and Twitter at Oh My Shelf, or you can send an email to ohmyshelf at gmail.com. On the next episode, we'll be talking about two strange, but very different movies, Dogma and Domino. Hope you'll be here to listen.